Guys, it's a, a great privilege and honour to be here. They've let me out of the youth tent this year to share with you guys. And before we uh, open our Bibles and get into God's Word today, I just wanted to take a little moment to honour what God is doing through the Calvary Chapel movement of churches. And uh, the history of that movement of churches involves opening the doors back in the 1970s to the Jesus People Movement. Many of you guys might not know this story, but it involved hundreds of hippie surf guys becoming Christians and followers of Jesus on the beaches of California. And the Calvary Chapel guys opened the doors of the churches to these people and they embraced their music and their culture. And many of the songs that we sing and are familiar with now would be birthed out of that that movement. And one of the great blessings and the gifts of the Calvary Chapel movement to the body of Christ is its faithfulness to sound doctrine and the expository preaching and the teaching of the Word of God, of which we are all blessed by that today. And I, I really believe that as we look ahead to the landscape that's ahead of us, I believe that many great Bible teachers will come out of this movement called Calvary Chapel. And we're blessed by Creation Fest, but I just want to take a moment to honor some people that have been very dear to me in my own journey. Phil Pachonas, who was a bit of a, of a, of a father figure in the faith to me, and Brian Broderson, these guys are, are legends, and we thank God for all that he's doing in and through this movement. And I believe, and I want to declare over this movement that your best days are yet to be. Amen? Amen. Great. Well, with that said, let us turn our attention now to the Word of God. We're going to be looking at Hebrews 4, verses 14 to chapter 5, verse 6. So you might like to open your Bibles to that. As we do, let me just pray. Father in heaven, we believe that your word is truth. In fact, 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is God-breathed. And so in this moment, we would just ask that Holy Spirit, the same spirit that breathed life into this word, would you, Holy Spirit, come and draw us closer to Jesus, would you reveal to us in this moment who we are in the light of this word? Father, we thank you that you've called us into this story, a story that's way bigger than our own. And I pray, Holy Spirit, teacher of all things, would you reveal to us the glorious majesty of Jesus? Would he be high and lifted up in our midst today as we consider him today our great high priest? We pray this prayer in the name of Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. 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 Hebrews 4.14 says these words. Therefore, everyone say "Therefore." therefore. Since we have a great high priest who ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence 
so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Every high priest is selected from amongst the people and is appointed to represent the people in matters related to God, to offer sacrifices, gifts, sorry, and sacrifices for sins. He is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray, since he himself is subject to weakness. This is why he had to offer sacrifices for his own sins as well as for the sins of the people. And no one takes this honor on himself, but he receives it when he's called by God just as Aaron was. In the same way, Christ did not take upon himself the glory of becoming a high priest, but God said to him, You are my son. Today I've become your father. And he said in another place, You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. The title of this study is uh, Jesus, our great high priest. And I don't know about you, I, I got. Um, I went to a Catholic school when I was a lad, and um, I had this kind of idea, God bless any Catholics, I know there's some great Jesus-following Catholics, and my image of a priest growing up was this big old dude, he would wear this kind of long robe down here, and he'd walk in with this kind of funny hat, and he was my image, if you like, of a high priest, and I think this idea of a priest is something that's so alien to our culture. And I think if we're going to fully get our heads and our hearts around this text today, then we've got to take a look through the lens of a first century Jew. Let's just remind ourselves that the book of Hebrews, many would conclude, possibly that it was written by Paul. But what we do know is that it was written to some Hellenistic Jews. And these Jews were straying away from the gospel. They were moving away from the centrality and the work of Christ and instead they were returning to their old ways, their old beliefs. They were returning to their old customs. Friends, isn't that typical of human nature? That it is our propensity to return back to familiar ways, to return back to what we have known of in the past, to stray back to our old ways of being and doing. It's what I call the yo-yo Christians. Have you met them? They're one minute they're up, they're at the conference and they're fired up for Jesus, and the next minute they're like they're down here, up and down, up and down. Or they're the okie dokey Christians. They're in the kingdom and everything's great and everything's going well for me, and they're out. They're in the world, in the kingdom, in the world. Okie dokey, in out, shake it all about. And Paul writes to these people to establish and re-establish the lordship and the supremacy of Jesus. And today in our text, he opens us up to the idea that Jesus is our great high priest. But I wonder, what does that mean for you and I today? Why do we need a priest? So we're going to download four kingdom concepts today about Jesus, our high priest, But before we do that, we need to have a look through two lenses 
that a first century Jew would have been very familiar of if we're going to understand Jesus as our great high priest. And the first lens I want us to look through is the lens of the two big themes that underpin all of Scripture. You will see these themes on every page of your Bible in one way, shape or form. Look out for them when you read your Bibles. These two themes are these two words, covenant and kingdom, relationship and responsibility, family and mission, being and doing, who you are and what you do, character and competence, worshippers and warriors. And we see this theme presented to us right at the very start of Scripture in Genesis 1, 26. God says to himself, let us make man in our image and in our likeness. In that moment, we see the very heart of God, the covenant relationship nature of God, the God who has existed as a triune God perfectly for all eternity in a specific moment in time that he created and preordained. He invites us into this covenant relationship with God. And then he goes on to say that he may rule over the fish, the birds, the livestock and the animals. And here we see the idea that we're not just called into a relationship with God, but we're given responsibility to represent God, to rule over all of creation. And the story of God is such in one that he establishes his relationship, his covenant with his people. And then out of that relationship, he gives us the job of advancing his kingdom upon the earth. Think about the Last Supper. Jesus is there with his disciples. And he says, this is the cup of the new covenant. Covenant relationship. And then he turns to his disciples before he gets taken up into heaven. And he says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's the work of the kingdom. What's the work of the church? It's not that we would plant and establish great kingdom work. It's that, that we would make disciples. Covenant and kingdom. So whenever you read of a covenant in the Bible, think relationship. Think this is the way that a perfect holy God can relate to a fallen sinful people. And there are a number of covenants that God had established throughout the pages of Scripture with Noah, with Abraham, Moses, David, and all of those covenants were superseded with with the covenant that Jesus established for us. These two themes, covenant and kingdom, will be on every page in your Bible. Look out for them. Relationship and responsibility. And the second lens that we need to look through today for these first century Jews would have been the offices, the three offices that God established in the Old Testament to uphold these two themes. And these three offices were Number one was the office of the prophet. And the prophet's responsibility, the purpose of the office of a prophet was to represent God to the people. 
And quite often they would have a message that would be very unpopular that they would have to convey to the people. And the overarching purpose of their message was to call people back, was to re-establish or to warn the people that they were moving outside of the covenant relationship with God. Prophets representing God to the people. The second office was the office of the priests. And the responsibility of the priests was to represent the people to God. And the role of the priest was to ensure that the the people remained in covenant relationship with God. And the third office was the office of the king. And the king, of course, was to establish God's rule and reign and the advancement of his kingdom through the office of a king upon the earth. Now these Hebrew Christians, they'd be very, very familiar with the idea of a priest. And they were very familiar with the priesthood of the order of Aaron established under the the covenant of Moses. And what these priests would have the responsibility of doing was to stand in the gap and intercede on behalf of the people before God. And one of the ways that they would do that was to um, atone for the sins of the people through the sacrificial animals. If they would have to sacrifice animals, so you'd take your animals to the priest and they would sacrifice on your behalf for all of the stuff that you and your family have done. And just to give you an idea, in David's day, David counted all of the priests, the Levites, the the, the priests, the order of Aaron. There were about 34,000 of these priests. And of all of these priests, there would be one priest that would be the high priest. And he would have this responsibility of once a year, he would go into the Holy of Holies, which was this place behind this curtain in the temple. And it was the place where the mercy seat of God was. It was the Ark of the Covenant. And once a year, he would take the blood of this animal and he would pour it on the mercy seat to atone for the sins of the whole nation of Israel. And what these priests would do is they would tie this uh, rope or a chain around his foot and he would walk in there and just in case he accidentally touched the mercy seat and he would die if he was to touch the mercy seat and the the kabod, the weight of the presence of God was so thick that he could hardly stand in God's presence. You know what I've been praying recently, friends? You're going to have to get this today. I've been praying, Lord, I want the fullness of you, all of your presence, all that I can bear without dying. What a prayer to pray. These priests feared God. The presence of God was so thick that they would die. How we, move, we need a move of God in this day that would be, we would sense the thickness and the kabod and the weight of his presence again. But this was their understanding of a priestly order. It was the order of Aaron. And then jump forward with me into chapter 5 verse 6. It says this, it says in another place, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. I was reading this and I, thought, I said to Sarah, thanks for giving me this, who the heck's Melchizedek? <laughs> I did a little bit of research into Melchizedek, it's really interesting. He was quoted during David's prophetic psalm, Psalm 110 verse 4. 
David said that Jesus was the order of Melchizedek. Now, who the heck was this dude, Melchizedek? So you have to go back to Genesis 14, verse 18. And here we, we read, Abraham was seeking the blessing of a priest. And so he went to Melchizedek. And we read in Genesis 14, 18, that Melchizedek was both a priest and a king. Melchizedek, listen to this, means king of righteousness. Where was he the king? He was the king of Salem. Salem would become Jerusalem, the city of David. The city, David of course, was where the line of Jesus would come from. Salem means place of peace. Melchizedek was a king of righteousness of a place of peace. Jesus was of the priestly order, not of Aaron, but of Melchizedek, which means that his priestly order was a higher order. His priestly order predated the order of Aaron. In those days, it was customary for the greater to bless the lesser. And here we see in Genesis 14, 18, Abraham seeking the blessing of Melchizedek. What does this tell us? It tells us that Jesus' priestly order is an eternal order where he is a king of righteousness and he is the king of peace. What does that mean for you and I today? Well, it forces us to ask two really important questions. For those of you who are not followers of Jesus, you haven't decided upon in your hearts yet to follow Jesus. You may have come to all of these different seminars, heard these great preachers and teachers explaining who Jesus is. But in this place that you haven't decided in your heart that, yes, I'm going to follow him. For you, let me tell you, this forces you to ask a really important question. How can I be in a covenant relationship with God? Do I need a high priest? Do I need somebody who's going to represent me before God? And if you're a Christian today in this place, if you're somebody who's already decided to follow Jesus, and it raises a really big question for you as well. How can I keep moving forward in my faith? How can I ensure that just like these Jews, I don't return back to my old practices, to my old mindsets, to my old ways of thinking? How do I deal with temptation? How can I keep moving forward into the plans and purposes that God has for my life? And I believe the answer to those questions can be found in our text today. Four kingdom concepts then about Jesus, our high priest. And the first one is this. Number one is we have to make Jesus our high priest. Verse 14, it says, Since therefore we have a great high priest who ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God. Why do we need a high priest? Why do you need somebody who's going to atone for your sins? Why do you need somebody who's going to represent you before 
God, because my friend the Bible tells us these words in Romans 3, 23, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Do you have any idea what that means? It means everybody has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It means that when you measure your life against others, though it might look good and though you might look better than your neighbor, the reality is is that when you measure your life against the perfect standard set by a holy God, my friend, we all fall miserably short. The Bible tells us in... Romans 6.23, that the wages of sin, the penalty of, a si- of, of sin, the penalty of a life that chooses to live independently of God is death. What is death? It's eternal separation from God. It's to go to a place for all eternity where he is not. That's why we need a high priest. Because Jesus did for us what we could never do for ourselves. We could never rightly represent ourselves before God. So he provided a way by which we can. That's why Paul wrote 2 Corinthians 5.21 For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. Hebrews goes on to say in Hebrews 9, 27, these words, you've got to get this today. It's appointed once for man to die and then face judgment. We will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ and we will give an account for our lives. And on that day, there'll be two types of people. There'll be those who've chosen to accept Christ's offer to represent us before God. And there will be those of us who are choosing to represent ourselves before God on that day. So I want to ask you a deadly serious question today. Is Jesus your high priest? Have you brought your life under his rule and reign? Or are you still following your own path where you are the master of your destiny? Listen, I'm going to give you a chance to think about that for a moment. Because let me tell you, all of heaven is holding its breath, waiting for your response. The second kingdom concept that we need to download today is from verse 14. And it's this, that we're to hold firmly to the faith that we profess. Verse 14, it says, let us hold firmly to the faith that we profess. Friends, let me tell you, we are living in days and it's going to intensify where the pressure upon the church to conform to the pattern of this world, there's going to be pressure upon us, there's going to be pressure upon your life 
to compromise and to water down this gospel message. They're going to say, by all means, talk about your social action projects. Talk about your good deeds. Talk about feeding the poor. Talk about providing homes for the homeless. Good as important as what these things are, but don't talk about Jesus. There's going to be a pressure on us to loosen our grip. To let go of the most important thing. That's why Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 1.18, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it's the power of God. Listen, let me tell you, this message of the gospel and the message of the cross is going to appear increasingly foolish. We see this with the secular agenda that's seeking to redefine marriage, the seeking to change the landscape of sexuality and gender. In, in essence, is seeking to redefine our God-given identity. This world is becoming increasingly hostile style to the gospel, sceptical of religion, where our message seems irrelevant and outdated, and the church now finds ourselves on the fringes of society, which incidentally, if you look through human history, is always where we've thrived the most. Somebody say amen. Thank you, Jesus. But it forces us to ask this question, what should we do? Should we blend in? Should we go with the flow? Or should we cocoon ourselves off from the rest of the world and hope that maybe some way it will get a little bit better? No, we're called in this verse to hold fast to what we profess. You remember what Jesus said to the church in Laodicea. It's the most scariest passage in all of Scripture. This church that had lost their first love, they've strayed away from the path that allowed compromise and apathy to creep in. And they looked good on the outside. They were saying and doing all the right things. They had style but no substance. And Jesus says these words to them. You have become lukewarm. And because of that, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. Now, I have absolutely no idea what it would be like to be spat out of Jesus' mouth. But I do know it doesn't sound very nice. And the challenge then for the Christian is this. Will you hold fast in these days? Not to programs, not to churches, not to ministries, not to celebrity Christians, not to the latest worship band. But will you hold fast to Jesus? Will you profess him? Will you confess him as Lord and Savior, as the only way to God? Because Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. There is no other way. Whatever you're holding on to in this life, other than Christ, is not going to cut it. You're never going to make it if you're holding on to anything other than Christ. What are you holding on to today? What could be more beautiful than his presence? More glorious than his kingdom? The third 
kingdom concept that we come to is this idea, verse 15, that we come to an empathetic high priest. Verse 15 says, We do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are yet was without sin. Friends, this is the, one of the most encouraging, life-giving verses in all of the Bible. Why? Because it tells us that we come before a God who's not some distant God who's unable to relate to us, but Jesus in being both fully God and fully man is able to relate to us at our level. He understands what it means to be human and to face the limitations of humanity. The Bible says that he is familiar with our grief, acquainted with our sorrows. And listen, he understands what it means to be tempted in every way with the lust of the eyes, the desiring of things that aren't ours to have, the lust of the flesh with sexual sin and gossip and physical violence, all the stuff that feeds your flesh, the pride of life, the temptation to elevate yourself above God and to receive the credit that is due to him alone. Jesus was tempted with all all of these things and yet the Bible says he was without sin what does this tell us it says you know that area of your life where you feel most guilt and shame we come to a God who says I know I know how you feel I'm not distant. I'm with you. And through the person of Jesus, listen, we get this tremendous benefit and privilege of instead of hiding and running from God, through Jesus, our high priest, the empathetic high priest, we're able to run not from him, but to him. What is it that you're facing today? Some of you I know are battle-weary. Some of you feel weak in the, na- in the natural. And I believe there's a fresh invitation for you today to come to him who is not distant but close and is able to empathize and relate to your struggles today. The fourth and final concept of Jesus our high priest that I want to leave us with today is this idea of being able to activate supernatural boldness in light of the fact that Jesus is our high priest when we hold fast to Jesus when we know that he is an empathetic high priest something wonderful can happen for you and I today Verse 16, we read these words. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. My friend, there is a confidence and a boldness that is available to each and every one of us. Aren't you glad to know that this confidence and boldness isn't based upon how well you perform 
or how good you think you are, whether or not you measure up to somebody else or to others. But it's solely based upon having Jesus, our high priest. It's like what he's done for us. Is he's given us an, all, an access all areas pass, not to the backstage of Creation Fest, but to the throne room of God himself. To have our needs met. And it's this throne room of God that we now find ourselves in, in this moment, right now. And I want to ask you a question. As we're in this place, there's no better place to come and land, actually, than the, than the throne of grace, where his majesty dwells. Because there's fresh mercy for you today. There's grace for you today to have all of your needs met. I want to share and close with this story. It's a story, a glory story. Who likes glory stories? This is going to give Jesus all the glory today. Listen, last year I was sharing at the showcase tent of a, a guy called John who started coming along to our church and uh, he came, he, he engaged with the Perrinporth Beach Mission. He'd sit on the wall for about three years. And he, and he was a skeptic. He was this, he, was, he would look from afar and he'd be like, I see all you Christians over there and I've got my questions, I've got my doubts and what about the flood and what about the dinosaurs and all this stuff. And he was a, a logical thinker in his, in his, in his thinking. And, uh, and, and eventually I said, well, I'll tell you what, John, why don't you come round to uh, a house, mine and Sally's house, and you can come and do like an alpha course, and you can ask all the questions that you want. And so he came week in, week out, every Friday, come and have a bacon sandwich and a cup of coffee in our house. And we'd talk about faith and Jesus and all of these questions that he would have. And then this one Sunday, he says, I, 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 I'm going to come to church this week. I want to come to your gathering. So we're like, okay, John. So he came up to church, and he came in there with his shorts. I uh, know he had his long trousers on, and, uh, and he'd put a shirt on. Normally, this guy's walking around Perrinporth with like a Megadeth T-shirt on. And, and, he, and his wife came up to him, and, and he turned around. And I was there with my shorts on like I normally do. And, uh, and, and, his, and he turned to his wife. He says, look, I told you I could have worn my shorts. I said, John, where what the heck you want? Just be yourself. And he came along, and this one Sunday, he came to our gathering, and a good friend of mine, Matty Rundle, he's, he, he operates very strongly with a prophetic anointing upon his life. And we broke down into this smaller little groups, and he started to pray over John, John the skeptic, John the ex-landlord of the pub. And he prayed, and he, and he spoke out these words. He says, I break off of you, in Jesus' name, every negative word that have been spoken out over you. And in that moment, I kid you not, this is what happened. John was slouched down like this. He's a tall guy, six foot five, and his neck went up like this. And he was like, the, the pain, the pain in my neck is gone. He was like, and, he was like, and he was like this. Oh. And he starts bouncing up and down like this, going, oh my goodness, what's happened to me? And, we're, it was, and he, ran, he ran out of the, out of the school where we were meeting. He's like, he ran away. And we're like, no, 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 come back. Tell us what has God done. He said, the pain in my neck is gone. It's completely gone. He said, well, what's happened? He said, I don't know. He just prayed that negative words that have been spoken out over me would be broken. And all of a sudden, my neck, the pain in my neck is gone. And John was instantly healed in that moment. Praise God. Hallelujah. So the week after that, John 
is that we're setting up at the skate ramp on the Perrinporth, uh, the English Surf Nationals, the championships are on the beach. And he says, the only reason God's healed my back is so that you, I, can, I can lug your skate ramp around, isn't it, Timsy? <laughs> I said, mate, if that's what it's for, then glory to Jesus, because he's healed your back. Anyway, I was sharing this story last year in the, in the showcase cinema, a showcase venue, and, um, and this guy comes up to me this year uh, at Creation Fest, and he says this word, he said, that story that you shared last year has inspired me to take steps uh, to pray for other people. He said, my wife had been suffering from migraines. She'd had this kind of like migraines, you know, chronic migraines. And he said, she was going backwards and forwards to the doctors. And this one morning, he said, I decided after hearing this story, that I guess I'm not, I'm a new Christian. I don't know how to do this stuff very well. He says, but I'm just going to offer to pray for my wife. And he shared this story with me. And I was like, well, what, what happened? He says, God healed my wife of her migraines and she didn't need to go back to the doctors. Come on, hallelujah. It reminded me of the words of Bill Johnson. He says, if you can't be trusted to steward a headache, you're never going to be trusted to steward an empty wheelchair. You see, there's a confidence that we can have in the throne room of grace. And it's where we find ourselves here in this moment. So I want to ask you, what's your need today? Maybe it's healing. Maybe it's some sort of miraculous provision in your finances. Maybe it's a breakthrough in your health. Maybe your greatest need today is for somebody else, for a prodigal, for a lost son. You know what? I was one of them. My mother faithfully prayed for me for years. And when I came back to Jesus, I was reminded of this verse from 1 Philippians verse 6. And it says, now being confident of this, he who began a good work will see it through to completion. There's a finished work of God that he wants to do in your life today. He wants to call back the prodigals. He wants to heal the sick. The lame will walk. The dead will rise. Come on, we're in the throne room of grace today where miracles can happen. Do you guys believe that? He's not a mamby-pamby God who's distant from you. He doesn't lack power. He's an all-powerful God, an all-seeing God. And he knows your every need. And he wants to say to you today, I'm here to meet it. Can we stand in his presence? Because he's here. The Holy Spirit is just going to start ministering to some of your hearts today.